All right, welcome back to another episode of Rosenballs. We're going to be talking about uh, midway through the second round, kind of gauge the series, what it means for all teams, um, and then obviously touch on the draft and some thoughts on free agency um, and, and who's really whose stock is rising as a result of the draft, or as a result of the playoffs, rather. Um, so first, a few things. Uh, I'm going to dissect Celtics-Miami first. I have the most to say about that one, right? So really weird series uh, in terms of the fact that you have teams kind of yo-yoing, right, um, over, over just showing up, okay? Game one, I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, expected the you know, the, the heat to take control. They had, they had a lot of time before game one and there was no surprise there. Then the Celtics, I think really punched in the mouth in game two. And I'm a little surprised, you know, if you want to compare like game two performance to game three, that's an interesting exercise, right? Uh, game three, man responds obviously, and, and they, they're up the entire time. So here's my thoughts on a couple things. First, I think in game two, I was impressed with Boston stepping on the throat, right? Like, they were blowing them out, and they and Miami never made a run. Uh, the other thing was they were fully healthy that game, right? And it's not like game two is an extreme necessity game for Boston to win, right? Boston wants to split, no question about it. But Miami is incentivized to protect home court. So, like, look, you know... If it were close and, and Boston pulls ahead and then they, they, you know, they steal home court, great. But the fact that my, you know, it was such a blowout is actually still quite interesting, right? Like whenever you get Nick Stoskis minutes, you got to question it just a little bit, right? That's what I think. On the on the flip of that, right? So let's flip it. Um, game three last night, so Saturday night, uh, Miami just comes out super strong, and I think. There's just a couple of guys that just showed up. It's really interesting. It's not like, like there's a disappearing out. Like Bam out of bio having 16 points in the first two games, and and actually looking like an all star in game three, is is really interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that. Where like it's funny. Like usually a guy has a couple of bad games, but you know he still gets the ball. He's still he's still active, right? So like Tatum as an example, you know because he's a, he's a shooter, could get 10, 15 points on on horrific shooting, and then. He starts hitting, and then all of a sudden he scores 40. Fine. But his usage is actually similar from game to game. Um, whereas Bam, like, is just not – he's like, you know, I'm not going not gonna to try so hard this game. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait, what? And then he just – you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe someone gave him a motivational talk and, and or something. But he really came alive. So he was obviously the story in game three uh, that everyone's going to talk about. Just, you know, his activity, his way to control an offense – the whole thing that makes Bam special is he's got, um, and I think this is an underrated thing, uh, a big, people think, and I'm going to go a little tangents as I love to do, people think the uniqueness of a big is either twofold, right? Either the big, either your five man is someone who, you know, defends the rim, can maybe, uh, you know, uh, roll in a pick and roll, right? So he's like uh, DeAndre Jordan in his prime type, and that's the kind of guy you're getting some athlete who could, you know, lob dunks, Robert Williams, Mitchell Robinson, right? These guys. You see this across the NBA, Clint Capella, to an extent. Uh, you, know, you go uh, team by team. Either they're that, 
or they're a guy who could like really shoot it, right? So on the flip, Kelly Olynyk, Nikola Vucevic, right? Fine. And if you go to the starting center and you, you look at the percentages of who's who, they're either mainly either going to be these rim protector, you know, bigs to an extent. Where their main job is to defend the paint and, and rebound, uh, or they're they're going to be able to shoot. The rarity for me is if you have or when you have bigs who not necessarily can shoot, but who could create offense, right? They bring the ball up, they could create. And the only guys, by the way, Brooke Lopez is a spacer. The only guys who, like, you know, truly started at the five and are truly the team's starting center that did that is really bam, right? Uh, Draymond Green does that. He creates offense. But, you know, Kevon Looney really starts at the five, right? Uh but, but Bam is is now their bona fide five. There's no other guy starting at the five, right? You have Butler really as a small ball four. So he's the five. And that's why it's even more impressive in that slot, um, you know, what he's doing. There, there's really no one that does that. And I think that's actually a very underrated thing. You look around the league, and again, when I mean the five, like, okay, obviously guys can play the five. I mean the opposing center is guarding you, typically. Typically. So... Right, now, obviously Smart can take in possessions, but when you look at the matchup, it's like Bam versus, you know, Daniel Tice, Al Horford, right? Now Al Horford's got a little bit of creation too, but again, he's more of a spacing five who create a little bit. Bam could really do it. Bam's a guy who could be the when I say could really do it, they're the 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 guy, you know, uh they're the driver on the pick and roll. Right? They're the guy who's handling, they're the handler in the pick and roll. Better said. And I don't think Horford as good as he is, can ever really be the handler in a pick and roll. So how many fives can be the handler in a pick and roll? That's pretty unique. And again, the only guy, the only guy who could really be a handler is Bam, right? And this is why, like, if you're an outside-the-box thinking GM and someone who's constructing a roster, you see this and you're like, you know, you know, other teams, if they put their guys at the five in different situations, it could be interesting, right? Like, Good examples, the Knicks with Julius Randle, right? If Randle played the five and next to a guy like Toppin, maybe, or, or maybe a bulky four, who knows, right? Um, by the way, uh, the Heat start Tucker next to Bam, right? So a guy like that, it could be interesting. That maybe as a handler, and he, he brings up the, the rebound and goes down court, is interesting, right? Giannis doesn't play the five, but... I think Milwaukee, if they were readjusting their roster, would do that. And then you have a guy like Giannis at the five. It becomes quite unstoppable if you have a five who obviously does the defense that he does and then has the ability to create on offense like that. I just think it's it's a unique skill set that other teams can't match with a center. Eighth, what about Nikola Jokic? Again, you're counting it on a few hands, or a few fingers, rather, right? How many bigs can do that? And even Jokic, it, he kind of. He's not like you give him the ball, he dribbles it up. He doesn't really kind of like plotting slow manner it's not it doesn't look natural in the same fashion that it does with bam so that that to me is um one extremely interesting thing okay like really really interesting uh the other so that, that, that Miami does that, and again, a lot of people can't can't you know pick that up. The other thing I wanted to talk about. So obviously, Miami is probably the best developing team in the NBA, and this is why. Like, I get annoyed at 
other GMs who complain, like I saw, I mentioned it maybe a year ago. Uh, Kevin Pritchard, in his end of the year interview um, with Indiana, was complaining that Indiana is a small market. That's why we, you know, we had a disappointing year. I can't attract free agents. What do you want me to do? Right? Sort of thing. And you see, like, if you're a good GM, you can get good talent at the end of the draft. You know, if you and the coach are in sync, you could um, develop the talent. The Miami Heat, I think, are the best team in the league at developing young talent. Look where these guys were drafted. Look where they came from. I think it's incredible. Max Strauss, I want to talk about for a second. Whenever you get a guy from another team's training camp, who's like barely making the roster, and he's not even that young, and you're like, we'll get him, we'll develop him. And he becomes like this 3 and D, you know, great player. That's impressive NBA team management. It's impressive development. Max Strauss, uh, you know, looked like he was out of the league. And Miami consistently just finds these guys. And they're like, Strauss, no, he's a 3 and D guy. What are you talking about? He would work really well with Jimmy Butler. Boom. And then they uh, they get him, and he starts, and, and he was tremendous uh, last night, right? Larry, I'm not going to give him that much credit for Larry. They got through a trade, and I think they, they trained a little too much to get him. Um, so, again, not incredibly impressed there. But, yeah, with some of these other guys, Strauss. And then Oladipo, you know, the other thing, I think Oladipo's back. And I notice a market inefficiency. You know, another thing to think about good GMing, in my opinion, is finding market inefficiencies. So, to me, a really interesting thing is, will Oladipo get paid and everything like that? And last night, he was just a turnover creator. Now, look, at Boston, did they let it happen all that? Sure. They were a little careless, obviously. I think... I think if I say Miami won the game or Boston lost it, I think Miami won it. Boston didn't lose the game. Okay? It's not like they were up. I mean, they didn't really show up at the beginning. They, they had to make make up a lot of ground. Jalen Brown was fantastic. But when you consistently running pick and rolls, as, as Smart was doing, and kind of, you know, it's just classic pick and roll action. The guy, the big man rolls, and the passes were just like five feet in front of him. They were stealing that. But Oladipo defensively, just his knack for finding where the ball was in those situations, being able to steal it. Him, Strauss, and Bam were, were too big of a force for, for the Celtics to handle. Now, the Celtics, I think, should have gotten blown out last night. They had no business coming back and being in that game. The fact that they were is interesting. But, you know, I, I think Oladipo is a guy who, you know, should get a good contract. And if he's situational, maybe. But is he back? I don't know. But if he's your fourth offensive option in a unit, and he's giving you that defense out of the two. I, I really like that. You can still shoot, still create. And I think that addition was big. And then, you know, um, Spo was really got thrown in like just random X factors. Like, hey, Decker Robinson didn't play all last year. Here he is again, right? He, he's got a decent matchup with you. He's still 6'8, um, still a, a crazy spacer you have to like, oh, constantly worry about as the defense. And he creates havoc. Just from him floating around. It reminds me of like having a base stealer at first who doesn't even have to steal the base, but he's in the pitcher's head, right? You know, the pitcher's always going to go, oh my God, I got to worry about it. I got to keep throwing the first. And it impacts the rest of the unit, right? Now the hitter's got an easier time to hit and all that because the pitcher's distracted. 
Same thing with defenses when they have a guy spacing and running around like crazy like Duncan Robinson. Everyone's kind of looking at him, and, and then you can sneak a couple things through. There's so much attention. There's such a worry uh, of him getting any bit of room to get a three off. Okay? And while the Suns made a comeback, the things I'm nervous about as a Celtics fan, being objective, is, you know, Duncan Robinson, those are going to go down. Okay? Now, granted, Tucker shot three for six. Yeah, they're wide open corner threes. That could continue on corners. You can't give him that, right? And then it's got a lot of it's going to be dependent on Bam and, and the health and all that, right? Um, but it's the lessons like learned for me, and it's about roster construction and constructing lineups. And the way Miami has built uh, their roster, they never taint. Okay, look, D Wade's the last game. D Wade was number three pick. They sucked, right? Fine, they did that then, but they did. This team was not built off tanking. This team was built off. Really good drafting in late slots, right? Like Tyler Hero late. Bam was like the 18th pick. Okay. Duncan Robinson, you know, second rounder out of, you know, all these straps are off the heap, right? So uh, uh, Gabe Vincent, incredible drafting, making assets out of nothing, right? Getting like the 39th pick and turning into what looks like the 12th pick. You caught to do that across your roster, you know. You're going to be in a good place. So this is like amazing GMing, amazing. They didn't have to tank to do it. Okay, that's one thing. Just the in a you know not having to build out of getting the third or fourth pick. And I'm not. It's not like they had the tenth pick either. These are again, bam. You know, Hero's really the only guy who was a top twelve pick or whatever, right? And he's their sixth man. It's not like he's their best player, but still, that to me is incredible. Then it's market inefficiencies, which is another big deal. And I think realizing Butler is actually a top 10 talent, oh my God, we could actually, he's obtainable when he shouldn't be, right? It was crazy. So, you know, again, because of how they developed talent, Josh Richardson looked a lot better than he was. He's still good, but he looked a lot better. And Philadelphia was way willing to give him and give up Butler. Uh, to absorb the cap, so look, and again, then you're Miami, and now you have a, you know <clears throat> because you showed signs of being a good GM and attracting good talent. Uh, this helps you down the road, right? This helps you now. Even if they lose now, they're a good team who can now attract talent to free agency because they're Miami. Everyone wants to live there, and they're good. That combination is great. New York's not there because of management. It's not like Mickey Rise is the best owner. Even if the Knicks were good. And they're a city people want to live in, which they are, right? People are going to, um, you know, get their free agency and all that. So I think this is one of the best, just constantly just good GMing. And the teams that the GMs that complain about these other things, you got to fire the GM. And, you know, in my opinion, coaches should actually last longer than GMs, right? Like, you can figure out as an owner, after three years, if your GM you know, really has got it, right? Is he even knack for this? Is he picking up guys? Like, his job should really be, he should be doing extra work, extra scouting. Like, is he getting guys? Forget the team record. Like, are these decisions good decisions? Do we win these deals that we do? Is it the track right? And if not, like, get rid of them quickly because you know, a, a GM lingers longer than his expiration date because then he does bad deals. He um, moves future picks and stuff. Uh, you know, something that people usually... Um, you know, maybe don't don't talk about, but 
uh, you know, absolutely a uh, uh, a necessity to think about, um, you know, good uh, good GMing, right? And versus coaches, you need a coach for a while. Like that's what I find weird about everything, right? Like coaches should actually last uh, longer than GMs. It, it takes a while to implement your system. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and all that. Um, so I, I actually think that, you know, if I were an owner, I wouldn't even let the GM, I wouldn't even like the GM doesn't even hire the coach. Maybe I do, but you know, what's a GM hires, fires a coach. I actually want to see the stats on this. What's a GM fires a coach. What are the odds they get fired too? We'll be back after the break. All right, we're back. Let's talk about uh, Dallas and Golden State. Um, so, look, I mean, I'm going to dissect both these teams a little bit. Dallas only has – we spoke about this before. They only have so many things they can throw at Golden State, right? And, again, I like how kid adjusts. I like how kids outside the box and avant-garde and all that. Um, and – I think your only way of beating is how they're playing, which is basically like Luca four shooters. Let's see if we can steal a game. We're going to jack up 53s. Let's go. Kleber, Bertans, right? You know, this is, this is you know, jack it up. Jack it up time. Um, and, and let Luca do his thing. Now, I don't think people realize, like the ones that are Luca haters maybe or whatever, and, and even that, like, this guy's going to be an old-timer. We all know this. I think he's going to end his career easily as a top-10 player of all time. I think he's going to usurp a bunch of people. you know. But this is what happens with this title-or-bust uh, mentality if he doesn't win titles, right? Like, Tracy McGrady talks about this. Like, it's not fair to Tracy McGrady that he was on a bunch of crappy Orlando teams um, that didn't make the playoffs, even though he played like an MVP, averaging 32 points on, on an absurdly efficient shooting. And those teams were garbage. You know, they lose to Milwaukee after being up 3-1, called it a big puppy. Uh, probably needed to beat him there, but and but injuries hurt him. Whereas Luca, like, it was impressive drafting. And is it, you know, we talked about Chet and that comparison and how, he, you know, this should, he should be an unequivocal number one. But I'll make this point. If you got rid of... Of all of the best players of the top of each team, you had to take away the top player. You take away each team's top player. You're taking away Trey Young from Atlanta, Jason Tatum from Boston, right? Go on and on and on. Bradley Beal from Washington, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You take away the top player from every team in the league. Okay, which team is the worst team? Now, I would argue, and I don't think it's close. That nobody would be worse than the than the non Luca Dallas Mavericks. Who's worse than them? What team? Now, Detroit. So Detroit played a little bit without Cade. They got Sadiq Bay, right? Yeah, that team's bad. I mean, with Cade, they're bad. They, they won what twenty games or whatever. Is it them? All right, that's, I mean it's close because that's the worst team. And but no, I would argue. You know, I don't know if this does this team win ten games without Luca. They got Brunson and Dinwiddie. They can win a couple games. I don't know if they can. This version of Dinwiddie, 
It's this version we're talking about, not not the Brooklyn version. So, like, I haven't seen this since LeBron, where just the impact of one guy, right? Like, LeBron left the, the Cavs with him, 67 wins. The Cavs without him, you know, um, uh, 16, 19 wins, whatever. So, yeah, I haven't seen this level of what I like to call, like, I don't know, extreme... Um, Whatever it is. Anyway, so I, I think that, that, that's the first thing I want to point out. Like, like if you got rid of every team's top player, where would they be? And I think it's an interesting exercise. I think Detroit, you know, the Clippers showed you they were competing, competing for a playoff spot without Paul George. So it's not them. Like, you go through the teams. You start going through Chicago, right? Like, oh, this is the worst team. I think. Maybe Detroit. Maybe. Okay. Maybe Detroit. But, so that's one thing. Uh, just how bad they are. That's one thing. Um, and then the next thing for me is like, I think, I, I don't know how they, I don't know what they do to, you know, come back from here or whatever, but like you add any little bit of talent with him or guys that can emerge just a little bit. And I think, I think it'll be interesting. Right? Like, you know, they did a good job with the Porzingis deal and all that. But, you know, they need those assets. And I think they got to draft better, right? Like, outside of Luca, obviously, it's Luca fantastic. They got a job with Dorian Finney Smith. But again, you talk about GMing. So they took advantage of market inefficiency, right? Like the Heat did with Butler. But they did an extreme one. And it tells you, like, look, the edges are small in the NBA. But good GMing. And just building a team and, and how to learn how to be a GM and all that. Look at the teams that are, in, that are in there right now. I think it's you gotta obviously hit on on a couple of draft picks and, and be mindful of that you gotta be able to develop your picks. You gotta be able to do trades to make room for your picks. And I keep saying this. So the Dallas thing, I said it to death. So obviously the Luca trade will go down in NBA history. It's like and they've done this before. They saw the inefficiency with Dirk Nowitzki. Give them credit. They did a deal. They got an extra asset out of it with Milwaukee, right? So they find out, and it doesn't happen every year. And this year, this draft, again, with Chet. Chet, the fact that Chet might go too, and that Orlando is going to, I think, listen to offers. And it's going to be the same thing, where, like, Orlando gets Penny, right? Or, like, still a pretty good player, but there's clearly a number one guy there. Anyway, that, that's the first thing for me, is marketing efficiencies. That's good jamming right there, finding that out. As it comes to Golden State, what, what has oppressed me, actually, I'm not going to take this right. What has oppressed me with Golden State a little bit is, um, it, look, they're, it's just funny that teams don't realize this. Like, like Jordan Poole doesn't happen. Does Jordan Poole happen if Curry, you know, gets injured? If Curry doesn't get injured? I don't know. He finally, you know, you you know, you had all the usage there and all that, and then he, he shows up and he gets confidence, right? You have to play the players. I don't know if it happens. I'm not sure. That's the first thing for me. 
is that just that concept? That's a big deal for me. Such a um, such a market uh, inefficiency. The here's the other big thing: Golden State. So Golden State didn't bite the bullet and they didn't do the trade and all that. But like, pool happens because you made room for him. Steph Curry does not happen. They talk about this on the podcast. Was it the volume or one of them? Right. This is one of those interesting things. I don't believe this to be true. First of all, but I think Golden State's smarter. When Gold State and Milwaukee were talking, they're saying that they wanted to do Bogut for Curry. And, like, it doesn't make any sense. That, like, Milwaukee's like, oh, we need, we want an either one, Ellis or Curry. And, and Curry almost got traded, but he didn't pass a physical or whatever. I, I think that's, that's absolute crap. I, I don't believe that at all. I don't think, like, when guys get traded, they're like, oh, we'll take either one. It's not like a baseball team. And, like, we just need, like, a, a whatever, a reliever or whatever it is. Like, I just think that's so absurd. The more logical thing to me is they liked, you know, Golden State saw remnants of Curry. They're like, he needs a room. And by moving Ellis, you 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 you, you uh, end up proving Curry. And a lot of times the guys need room. And room to me are two things. They're two things. It's usage and minutes. Okay? And Golden State is being tactical here. They are. Where... You know, Kaminga is not there yet, and the hope is Kaminga and Moody, if they can evolve like they've done with Pool, these guys could slowly take over and transition well, like the Celtics were supposed to in the '80s with Len Bias, rest of the soul, right? That's the goal, and I think Golden State's patient ability. Um, can't be understated. Right, just this, this ability to, you know, be patient with your youth. They'll come up at the right time and, and all that, right? And, and the way they're bringing up Kaminga is really interesting. But again, I, I'm going to say this about Golden State, Boston, Miami, and Dallas. When's the last time there wasn't really a clear-cut favorite going into the conference finals? Where like of these four teams, you're like, ah, oh, there's definitely there's not. I mean, I could order it, and right now Miami's up in Boston. Like, Boston was supposed to be the favorite. Supposed to be. I, I, you know, they were. They had the best odds. They had plus 300, right? Now it's probably Golden State, then Miami, then Boston, then Dallas. When's the last time? And is this good for the NBA or not? And I don't know. The, the, the data suggests, unfortunately, the data does suggest that super teams – or like having one team really, really great that just keeps winning, let's call it that. And when that happens in the league, the league's actually better for it, right? You would one would think that parity is is obviously better. It's more entertaining, right? And the NFL does a good job of it. The NFL has tremendous parity, right? Because it's a one game playoff and, and you know, anything can happen in one game basically. And it's not always the case that the best team wins in the end, right? The Patriots were there for a while for many years, the Cowboys, right, et cetera, et cetera. But they didn't win it, like, every single year, right? They get upset. You know, Philadelphia could win, um, et cetera. So that doesn't have the NBA because it's a seven-game series. So it's pretty interesting, like, how many years? 
and, and it's not like they're in between years. When I say in between years, meaning like there was a, and maybe we are living in it. I'm just, I'm, I'm being ignorant and I don't realize it, but there could be sometimes like a passing of the torch here, right? Or a team breaking through. So the last time I, I think I recall where let's call it, there wasn't a clear favor in the conference finals, whatever, or there was, and the team lost, I would say Dallas, Miami in 20, 2006. Okay. When Dallas beat Nowitzki, you know, great OT. I remember I think it was a game six or game seven. And the game, they win a great, a great game. He plays amazingly, right? In um it was a game in San Antonio. But I would argue in 2006, you know, again, when a team has got a night, if we're talking about these 95 percenters, when 95 percenters happen, there's gonna be a case once every 20 years where they don't hit. And that happened in 2006. Like San Antonio. I think was the best team and, and it just, it, it didn't happen. Right. But like, you know, there's usually one team, two teams that are clearly the best, maybe one or two teams. So that year, I think San Antonio actually was the clear best team. Right. I think they win the title if they play Miami and they don't because, you know, Dallas does a good job in that series and beats them. So that's not even a year that this happened. 2011, you'll tell me, again, that's the, the flip. Miami should have won that year. Or 2009, I get confused with the years. Maybe 2011. But um, Dallas prevails. And they had a, a clever way to stop LeBron. But again, in terms of pure talent, most people had their money on Miami winning that series. Fine. My point is, there's never a year where... Even going to the second round of the playoffs to start the second round, you didn't have one team that I would say had more than a 50% chance to win the title. More than 33% chance. Let's say that. 33%. Which means the odds are... And they all say it. No one's odds were higher than like plus 350 going to the second round. Now, Golden State's got the best odds. They're up in the series, obviously. But they're only 30% with four teams left. You would think there was, there was at least a 50% chance, Right? Sometimes minuses and stuff. And maybe this year they're supposed to. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Brooklyn's going to take off. Okay, this is entirely possible. They get their shit together. Talent-wise, it should be, right? Simmons is healthy, and they take the next two, three years. And you're like, no. It was Brooklyn. Something You just got a lucky one. You got that lucky one in there, right? That Detroit versus Lakers one. I mean, I'm not saying that the top team always hits. They don't. That's why you. That's why their odds are. That's why you play the games. Detroit beat the Lakers. In 04, okay. Um, again, the, the Mavs won, you know. But I, I think it's really interesting that no team had odds of a higher plus 325 or whatever it is. And, I, I, and again, the, 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 the ratings are up this year, okay. I think a lot of that is due to last year. It was a, I think the last two years were funky. So I don't put a ton of grain into that salt. Salt into that grain. I don't know. What, what's the phrase? Um, I don't because there wasn't, you know, this is, there's, there's there's a randomness to it. There's a clear randomness, but as a betting man, I'm probably going to still bet Boston. I got to see their latest odds and I'll tell you what they are, uh, being at a a red light here. I don't, know, I don't have a chance. If they're over plus 500, they're, they're down 2 1 in the series, right? So, this is taping this on a Sunday. You have, a, you have a day to do this bet. I bet them to win the title. I would take them hard if it was greater than plus 500 right now. I don't know if it is. 
not saying whether it should be or not. They're down in that series. I like that bet. But yeah, I think real interesting to me, real interesting that I don't know whether parity is good or not. And I think as teams get more savvy and, and they're very, you know, there's better GMs out there, right? As we talked about, the parity is going to continue, right? Next year, I forget what happens this year. Let's just talk about next year for a second, right? Boston's going to improve. They're still going to be there. Okay, great. Gold State's still going to be there, I think, for one more year. They're going to have maybe a better Kuminga, right? Miami, what's going on with Miami is, um, are the Heat going to add Levine or something? They're back in the mix. Milwaukee with, with Middleton clearly is back in the mix, okay? Phoenix, what does Phoenix do with Aiden? I think if they get a win now, move for Aiden. If they get, like, Turner and Brogdon or something, that's interesting. They're back in. I, I could see one of ten teams winning the title next year. And I didn't even talk about Philly, and there was a rumor of, let's say this happens, Bradley Beal for Maxi and, and Harris. Let's throw Philly in the mix now. So there's there's a real um, interesting mix. of teams that are in there to win the title. I mean, there's like 10 teams. Memphis will be improved. Okay. By the way, I'm driving behind America's worst driver. This is honestly like just, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know if his ways were said anything, but the guy was going in out of lanes. Um, so we'll see next year, right? The parody continues. Brooklyn's going to be there. Like I can list 12 teams but I can make an argument that have a better than a 10% chance to win the title. Obviously, it's not mathematically possible. That tells you tons of parity, right? I think you got it. Let's, let's look at it. The West, Luka continues to improve. If the, if the Mavs get anything for Hardaway Jr., okay? Dallas, Memphis, Golden State, the Clippers if Kawhi comes back. The Lakers are not. I'm sorry. Like, I don't, it's just, I don't see it happening. Okay, fine. Four teams out West, right? Sleeper pick, they won't. Minnesota, but they're going to improve. Fine. But four teams out west, I think, can win the title. In the east, Miami, Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly. That's nine. Nine teams with a better than 10% chance. Okay? Chicago, Cleveland, nah. Washington, nah. But I think nine teams. Atlanta's not in there yet. Okay. But about nine. That's pretty good. That's probably the highest I can recall this ever happening, i.e. the most teams having more than a 5% chance of winning the title. I don't think you ever had a case of nine teams having more than a 5% chance. You legitimately like, and I'll throw some dark. I think I think Toronto could be a dark, dark horse. Right? So you have a candidate there. You know, depending on what they do in the offseason, if, if a rookie or whatever, someone breaks out, right? So really interesting, right? I, I, again, rarely happens. And we'll see if the NBA is better off for it or not.